Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Adam, and we are so glad that you are joining us. This is week number two in our series called Mirror Images. And so in this series, throughout the next few weeks, we are going to be tracking through the first book of the Bible, Genesis, in order to gain a biblical perspective on topics like sanctity of life, gender, sexuality, and marriage. Now, I know that a lot of people have opinions on these topics, probably some pretty strong opinions. And so I'm going to do my best over the next few weeks to not just give you my opinions on these topics, but to make sure that what we talk about is clearly rooted in God's word. And I also really want to encourage you to attend every single message from now until Father's Day, just to get the full picture on what God has to say on these topics. And if you happen to miss for any reason, you can always go back and listen to it on the Bridgewater podcast. You can find the Bridgewater app on the App Store, download it for free, and that gives you the opportunity to watch the video messages from the Montrose campus or tune in to our Tunkhannock podcast. But anyways, let's get into it. So like I said before, a lot of people have a lot of different opinions on some of the things that we'll be talking about. And this morning, I wanted to start off by sharing with you some opinions that some other people have. So here's one. We have far too many old people. It's ridiculous to be living in a country where we can put dogs to sleep, but not people. It sounded kind of silly at first, but this person is not joking. And she said this in an interview, and when she was asked what she proposed to do about it, this is what she said. Easy, euthanasia vans, just like ice cream vans that would come to your home. They might even have a nice little tune that they'd play. How does that make you feel? She's talking about picking up your parents or your grandparents to end their life like a dog. And maybe you feel shocked. Maybe you feel disturbed. Maybe you're thinking, there's no way that other people think like this. Like, she's just some crazy radical. But the scary thing is that Canada is starting to move in this direction Right now, Canada offers medical assistance in dying to people who are 18 years and older, have a terminal illness, and have the um, mental capacity to consent to assistance in dying. But in less than a year, that's going to change, and eligibility for medical assistance in dying is going to open up to people with mental struggles. So this comes right from the Canadian Department of Justice, They say that persons suffering solely from mental illness will be eligible for medical assistance in dying as of March 17th, 2024. So people in Canada are being told that they should not consider suicide unless it's encouraged by the government or a medical professional employed by the government. Now, how would you feel about your loved one who has some kind of physical ailment or some kind of mental struggle 
being encouraged by medical professionals to end their life. And this is some heavy stuff, so I'll let that sit for just a minute before we move on to this next quote. So this next quote comes from an activist who says, abortion is not the lesser of two evils. Abortion is pro-family, pro-life, moral, and good. For many millions of women, abortion has meant getting on with their lives and continuing to meet their responsibilities to themselves, their families, and society. This is a pretty big statement to say that abortion is pro-family, pro-life, moral, and good. Like, what is the basis for that? In America, on a daily basis, there are around 2,363 abortions that are performed. It is on a daily basis. Is this something that should be promoted? Something that should be allowed or accepted? Or is this something that should be grieved? And as I read through each and every one of these quotes, you all had some kind of reaction. Maybe your reaction was shock or being disturbed, and that's because you have a view on life that is colliding with these other people's view on life. Or maybe as I read these things, there could be some of you who maybe even agreed with some of those opinions. And that's because you have a view on life as well. And so this morning, I want to encourage all of us to take our opinions, set our opinions aside, and just take a clear look at what God's view on life is. And this morning, we're going to be answering two critical questions. The first question is, what makes life valuable? And the second question is, when does life begin? So we're going to get into the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 26, if you'd like to follow along. Now, last week, we were on chapter 1, verse 1 in Genesis that said, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We talked about how God is the source of life and everything that we see in this world. And God just spoke everything into existence except for humanity because God created humans in a more intimate way. And that's what we're going to read about in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. It says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So humans are created in the image of God. But what does that mean? I think there could be some different parts to that, but primarily what that means is humans reflect or they represent the image of God. Now let me give you just a few different examples that might help this connect. So here's an image. Maybe you've been to the Lincoln Memorial before. This is in some kind of stone statue. It points to a great figure in history. 
Abraham Lincoln. So it's an image that points to someone great. Here's another example. Now, honest confession here, I had to learn the names of these presidents before this conversation this morning. And my wife was like, that's because you're homeschooled. So <laughs> anyways, I now know that it's George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Theodore Roosevelt, and Abraham Lincoln. And even though these people are not alive today, this image is a reflection of their lives. Now here's one more that doesn't represent a person. This represents something less tangible. This represents freedom and liberty. And so in a similar way, even though we can't see God with our own two eyes, we have the image of God in humanity. And it's being made in the image of God that separates us from everything else in creation. This is what makes us different from, from monkeys or from dogs or anything else like that. It's because we are created in the image of God and it's what makes our life valuable. So a little bit further on in the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter nine, in verse six, God says this, whoever sheds human blood, by humans shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made mankind. So there's no prohibitions in the Bible for hunting deer, butchering cows, or even putting an end to the life of your pets as they get older or they have some kind of terminal illness or something like that. But God takes human life very seriously. And he gives this prescription that if somebody murders another person, then the consequence is for the murderer to be put to death. That is the most severe consequence you could ever think of. And God doesn't say this because he doesn't take human life seriously. But God says this because he does take human life seriously. Human life is sacred in its value. And the value of human life, it doesn't come from how old or how young you are. It doesn't come from your contribution to society. Your value doesn't come from the ethnicity or what family you were born into. Your value is dependent on the fact that God has created you in his image. And so all people are valuable because all people are made in the image of God. And this truth is so important. And if we could just get this one thing right, it would save people from a lot of hurt, a lot of pain, a lot of tragedies throughout history could have been avoided if this was taken seriously. Think about all the people who've been exploited or mistreated, people groups that have been exterminated. And before that happened, there was something else that happened first. And what happened first is those people, those people groups were dehumanized. So I could give you some examples from uh, just few hundred years ago in American history where Americans justified enslaving other people because they said that African Americans were not fully human. And this justified exploiting them and treating them terribly. 
And that was even perpetuated by the way that enslaved people were treated. Uh, I found some quotes from Frederick Douglass, who was formerly an enslaved person who found freedom and then became an activist against slavery. And what he writes about is not just what happened, but his very own experiences. He said, frequently, before the child has reached his 12th month, its mother is taken from it and hired out on some farm a considerable distance off. And the child is placed under the care of an old woman, too old for field labor. For what this separation is done, I do not know, unless it is to hinder the development of the child's affection towards its mother and to blunt and destroy the natural affection of the mother for the child. This is the inevitable result. And this is what happened to him. This is what happens when people are not treated like they are made in the image of God. This is what happens when people are dehumanized, is it justifies exploiting them. Here's just one more example of how enslaved people were really not treated any differently than animals. Frederick Douglass says, our food was coarse cornmeal boiled. This was called mush. It was put into a large wooden tray or trough and set down upon the ground. The children were then called like so many pigs, and like so many pigs, they would come and devour the mush, some with oyster shells, others with pieces of shingle, some with naked hands, and none with spoons. And this is, this is awful, and this is a result of dehumanization. I can give you another example from the Holocaust. This is a collage of some of um, the propaganda that the, the Germans would spread about the Jewish people. I found the translation for the one on the left. The Jewish worm makes his move. And German people would call Jewish people by all the vilest things that they could think of. They would call them um, vultures, lice, rats, worms. They made Jews out to be monstrous or barbaric and not even fully human. And they tried to strip away the humanity of this people group so that they could justify exterminating them in concentration camps and gas chambers and those kinds of things. Now, here's a serious question for you. In American culture today, are we dehumanizing unborn babies? Let me just walk through some of the vocabulary surrounding this topic and kind of think for ourselves on this one. So oftentimes, an unborn baby is referred to as a fetus, a clump of cells, or a parasite. Now, I'm not saying that it's wrong to call an unborn baby a fetus. That is the biological term for it. That's fine. But what all of those terms share in common is that it kind of separates the idea that this unborn baby is actually a life, a life that is valuable. And even if we look at some of the terminology around abortions, if you were to look on Planned Parenthood's site, they would call an abortion 
the end of a pregnancy, just stopping a process as opposed to ending a life. Another way that sometimes it's referred to is just an induced miscarriage. So our unborn babies in our culture being dehumanized? I think so. And before we make a judgment on whether this is right or wrong, I think we need to answer the critical question of when does life begin? Because if life doesn't begin until this baby is born, all right, we don't even need to have this conversation. But if life begins at conception, and there are 2,363 abortions performed every single day in America. And this is something that needs to be grieved. So let's go ahead and look at what God's word says about when life begins. If you'd like to follow along with me, you can turn to Psalm 139. Psalm 139, and we'll pick up in verse 13. Now these are the words of King David. And even though this is coming from King David, this is in the Bible. This is scripture. This isn't just David giving his own opinion on this topic, but this is the word of God for us today. So David says in verse 13, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. So David is saying that he was fearfully and wonderfully made. And the same is true for you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made because before you were even born, God knit you together in your mother's womb. I think the implication is here, before you were even developed, you bore the image of God. Now let's look at one more passage in the Bible from the New Testament that kind of talks about this idea. So we have Mary, the mother of Jesus. And while she was pregnant with Jesus, she has this relative named Elizabeth who was pregnant with a son who would later be known as John the Baptist. And so Mary and Elizabeth were pregnant together. And when Mary came to visit Elizabeth, this is what Elizabeth said in her greeting. As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Joy is a human emotion. I think the implication here is that this unborn baby had an emotional capacity before he was even born, which leads me to believe that babies should not be dehumanized, that they are more than just a clump of cells, but they are a life that begins at conception, and because they bear the image of God, it is a life that is valuable to God. And so whether we're talking about uh, different ages, different ethnicities, or anything like that, the point is all human life is equally sacred. Now, I don't want to say all of this this morning just to heap guilt on somebody who's had an abortion or to heap guilt on you if you pushed 
your wife or your girlfriend or your daughter to have an abortion. I think a lot of people in our culture today celebrate that abortions are a right that every woman should have, that it's a choice. But for so many women, even though abortion is legal, it doesn't feel like a choice because they're pushed in one direction. They're pushed to have that abortion. What a lot of women don't know is that they are created in the image of God and God loves them and values them for who they are. What a lot of women don't know is that unborn baby inside of them is created in the image of God and God values that life. God values the lives of those who are old, those who are young. God values the lives of every ethnicity and even those people who have mental struggles or physical difficulties that maybe the rest of society would say is just a burden. God values those people. And every life has value because we are created in the image of God. We represent him. We reflect him. Now, brought all this stuff up here this morning to give an illustration of that. It's just like this mirror. Just as if you look into this mirror, it reflects your image back to you. I'm sorry if you're being blinded by that right now. I know that the light shines right into it. We are created to be reflections of God, like a mirror image of how awesome and amazing and perfect God is. But when God created humanity in his image, the story didn't end there. God created the first humans, Adam and Eve, and at the moment that God created them, everything in the world was perfect. There was no brokenness or blemish or anything like that. God called creation good, and he even called humanity very good. Adam and Eve didn't even know what right and wrong was. They were totally innocent. All they knew is that they weren't supposed to eat from the fruit of this one tree. But after a little bit of time, guess what Adam and Eve did? They disobeyed God. They ate from that one tree that God told them not to eat from. And the moment they took a bite from that fruit, their innocence was just stripped from them. And for the first time ever, they had a knowledge of good and evil. That is when sin entered the world. That is when brokenness entered the world. And when sin entered the world, it affected the way that we represent God. It made a difference on our image in the way that we portray God to others. When sin entered the world, this is what happened. All right, I know there's a little shock factor there. If you were sleeping, you're probably not asleep anymore. When sin entered the world, it tainted our image of God. We, we are still created in the image of God. We still represent and reflect God. But that reflection of God is broken. We become broken reflections of a perfect God. And that even separates us from a relationship with him because he's perfect. And we can 
go through life just trying to avoid the fact that we're really that broken. We just think, all right, I'm a pretty good person. I kind of have things all together. Other people should like me. I should be okay with God. Others of you, you feel the full weight of your brokenness. Maybe you've had an abortion before or you pressured somebody else to have an abortion. This morning's conversation is just resurfacing that guilt. You know you're broken. But the good news is that God didn't just leave us to be broken. He didn't leave us to try to just fit all the pieces of life back together ourselves and try to heal ourselves, make ourselves whole again. But God sent his very own son, Jesus, to enter this world. And Jesus is the only one who wasn't broken. Jesus is the only one who didn't have sin in his life. And so he lived the perfect life that we could never live. And then he died on the cross to pay the price for our sin that we deserve to pay. And God the Father treated Jesus as if he was guilty of all of our sins so that we could be treated as if we were innocent, if we are forgiven by God for all of the things that we've done. And so God gives us this invitation to turn to Jesus, to be our savior, to turn to him as our leader and to receive forgiveness of our sins. There is no sin that is so big that God can't forgive it. There is no sin that is so bad that God doesn't want you. He wants you to be made whole through the work that Jesus did. And when you place your faith in Jesus for salvation, you receive the Holy Spirit in your life. The Holy Spirit is God himself. And at that moment, God begins this process of healing you and helping you to become more like Jesus. And this doesn't mean that your life just gets better just like that by placing your faith in Jesus. But that means you don't have to go through life in your own strength just trying to glue the pieces back together, fit everything back together. You can't do that in your own strength. You can try, but we're all broken all broken in different ways. And the only way to truly experience healing is to have God in your life, to have forgiveness of your sins, and to have him walk through life with you. And this process of being made whole again will never be complete in this lifetime. None of us have arrived. And none of us will get to that point until we're with God again in heaven someday. And someday in heaven... We will be perfect reflections of a perfect God with no more sin and no more brokenness. So as we wrap things up this morning, I just want to leave us with two questions. The first one is, do we value all people like God does? Do you value the life of that unborn baby who doesn't have a voice? You value the life of those who are older or maybe have some kind of terminal illness or mental struggle that maybe other people would label as a burden to society. Do you value the life of those people because they're created in the image of God? Do you value the life of every person of every different ethnicity? And do you value people who are broken 
in different ways than you are? Is there anybody in your life where you're like, I can't value them because I know what they've done? They're broken, but so are you. And that's why we all need Jesus. And then the last question is, have you turned to Jesus to rescue you from your brokenness? And maybe you've been sitting here this morning, you're thinking, all right, I can just, I can try to do this by having my good works outweigh all the bad things I've done in life. I'll be all right. I can kind of fit the pieces together. But maybe you haven't come to a point in your life of recognizing you need Jesus to fix your brokenness, to heal you of your sin problem that is separating you from a relationship with the holy God the Father. Maybe others of you this morning, you are so aware of your brokenness and you're thinking, God knows what I've done. There's no way that God could ever accept me. There's no way that God could forgive me for the things that I've done against him and the way that I've hurt other people. But God can forgive you. There is no sin so big that God cannot forgive it. And he wants you to follow him and to just surrender to him so that he can heal you and make that relationship right. And so if you've never done that before, but you want to, I just want to encourage you to have a conversation with somebody. Or maybe you're thinking, today's not that day, or I don't know who to talk to. I really want to encourage you to grab one of these little slips of paper. You can get this on a table just beyond those doors or those doors over there. And just write down your name and some way that we can get a hold of you. And then on the back, send me information about accepting Jesus as my Savior. And if you do that, then Kurt and I would love to get in touch with you and just have a conversation with you about your journey of faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. I thank you that you didn't just create the universe and everything in it and then just walk away from us but that you love us, you give us value because we are made in your image. That is really such an honor. Help us to steward that well. Help us as best we can to be good reflections of who you are, reflections of your love, your compassion, and your grace, and your forgiveness. And God, there's so many people who are made in your image but they don't know it, or they're not treating other people like they're made in your image. Um, God, help us to just show compassion to those people, people who are broken in different ways than we are. God, thank you so much for your forgiveness and everything that you sent Jesus to do. Thank you for your grace. And I pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.